And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Pastor Daniel Hyde. He's the pastor for Oceanside United Reformed Church in Carlsbad, Oceanside, California. Danny, it's great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Dan. You know, before we get started on our questions, I'm just wondering if, uh, quickly, maybe you could share with our listeners, how was it that the Lord brought you to himself? Sure thing. Um, so I was baptized as, a, as an infant in the Roman Catholic Church due to my grandparents' uh, influence. So um, baptized Catholic, Roman Catholic, and remember some vague uh, memories of going to uh, evangelical church. Uh, my, my dad began to attend Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, which was started, you know, here in Southern California, Costa Mesa, uh, in the 70s, very early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. Um, so uh, some, you know, a little bit of, of that uh, as a little kid, maybe kindergarten or so. Um, but I didn't really hear the gospel, know what it meant to be a sinner, understand what it meant to be a Christian until I was 17. Um, so, you know, in between, you know, a little bit of influence from Cover Chapel till the time I was 17, basically, we only went to church uh, at uh, Catholic Church with grandparents during holidays, so Christmas, Easter. Uh, but when I was 17 or so, uh, just lots of struggle in my family, lots of brokenness. And so that, you know, led me to question and try to find, you know, answers. And uh, my dad started going back to church again, and this was in a four-square church, and so I went with him one night and was converted, and in a sense, that's all she wrote, but (laughs) Uh, then I went off to college, played basketball, uh, you know, journeyed through different religions, studied all kinds of religions, um, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, uh, all the cults would come to my dorm room, all my my, uh, doormates thought I was crazy. So, uh, and that led me to... uh, uh, a greater assurance and understanding of the gospel, uh, leading me into uh, reformational Protestantism. So coming out of you know charismatic evangelical Pentecostal background, um, where no doubt I was a believer, I was saved, but um, came to a greater assurance uh, of all that it means to be a believer uh, through uh, reformed Christianity through the, through the Reformation. So. That was when I was about 20, 21, um, and then that's how I got to where I'm at now. So that's the long story short. Well, it's very interesting, and um, you're a pastor there at Carlsbad Oceanside, and uh, what's your church like? Yeah, uh, Carlsbad Oceanside, uh, it's uh, Southern California, so if people look at a map, they'll look for San Diego, and uh, Oceanside is the northernmost uh, city about 180,000 people, um, uh, northernmost city in San Diego County in Carlsbad, just south. So we, uh, our church meets in Carlsbad, but we have members from all around. Um, uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's a typical Southern California beach community. Uh, that's, that's where I'm from. And so uh, very, uh, you know, very uh, great, great weather, perfect weather. <laughs> uh, people are happy because the sun's out. So, you know, it's a beach community, uh, lots of tourism, uh, lots of businesses too in industry, but for me, it's just a typical. It's home. It's typical uh, beach community. So, um, yeah, and uh, people in our congregation. This for most of our 
people, not just now, but throughout the history of our church. Um, we began back in 2000. So uh, most people, this is the first Reformed church they'd ever gone to. Uh, and then a good amount of those people, um, this really is the first church, period. Um, so they don't know any different. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we, we meet in a, in a chapel on the beach. We reach out to people. Um, we, we preach the gospel. Uh, we have a very reverent, uh, structured liturgy order of worship that we follow uh, with readings and responses and prayers and songs and so forth. Uh, so very serious, although we're on the beach and people, that's, that's sort of our angle. Um, you know, we're, we're in a very flippant, transient, uh, you know, kind of cool uh, area, but we come to, together to meet with God uh, in worship and, and hear the word, be challenged, be encouraged. Um, so just uh, it's a great bunch of people uh, who love each other and love the Lord and love uh, to reach out to the lost. Well, that sounds beautiful. And uh, you're in a URC church, and uh, out here on the East Coast, uh, we have great connections with some of our URC churches, uh, Hudson Valley URC with Pastor Hosink and Pompton Plains Reformed Bible Church, Reverend Kukin, and yep. uh, the Preakness Valley URC with David Klompin and a uh, great group of folks, and uh, we really are blessed. Um, now, our question, uh, the area that we want to talk about today, uh, uh, Danny, um, just over three years ago in Obergefell versus Hodges, um, the Supreme Court came to a decision, five to four, um, that there's a fundamental right to marry guaranteed to same-sex couples. I remember at the time, it was quite a shockwave it sent, I believe, through the Christian community. Yeah. Um, so, you know, since that time, here at Redeemer, we've had several interviews with Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, uh, who has a very clear understanding of this, uh, almost prophetic uh, understanding, and uh, also a couple of Christian counselors who work in this area. Um, God is doing a wonderful work, and at times it's easy to get discouraged. Uh, but with that background, uh, today we want to take a look at the, the role that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is to have as a prophetic voice to our culture, and especially to what the Bible calls the civil magistrate. Yeah. And I'd like to use that as a launching point. And um, your church, actually, your your church's consistory, had a very helpful response to the Obergefell Hodges ruling. So uh, first, um, what did you guys do out there in response to this issue? So, um, yeah, you said it was three years ago. It seems like forever. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm like, well, wow, only three years, but it seems like a, yeah, a, million, a million years ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we, we didn't really, you know, plan, uh, I mean, because who knows when these things, you know, get sort of, uh, you know, released or passed down. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, when it was announced and, uh, you know, read, read through it and, um, yeah, a lot of questions from people in the congregation, you know, what does it mean, you know, how does it affect us or, you know, potentially affect us and, yeah, and even some of the the wording from uh, the minority, the dissent, the four in the five four decision, talks about that. Um, as far as you know, what may happen, and you know, yeah, that's uh, uh, Justice Scalia. I mean, a lot of that, a lot of that is happening now. Um, that's right. Yeah. So we, you know, I as pastor and our elders, our consistory, our, our ruling body. Um, uh, I read through, you know, the decision, and you know, gave you know the links and 
kind of summary um, to our elders and then just began to think about for our own, you know, people, um, you know, what do we believe about marriage? I mean, obviously we, we, we know what we believe, but with anything, you know, we never want to just sort of rest on your laurels or just assume that people know. So we want to use opportunities like this to, to teach our people, um, you know, what the truth is. And then also, you know, what does that mean for, for us in terms of, you know, our neighbor, loving our neighbor as ourselves and right. seeking to speak the truth in love and, um, you know, be clear with people, but also, uh, you know, welcoming and, and open. So I wrote uh, just a brief uh, sort of summary response and, you know, so we discussed it and uh, approved this, which is a letter. It's, it's, it's a letter addressed to uh, the president, um, you know, Supreme Court, uh, ju- uh, Chief Justice and, uh, you know, uh, Speaker of the House. Uh, uh-huh. So, you know, and we, and we and a lot of people said, well, you know, you, you, you just waste your time. You know, uh, these things get mailed to Washington, D.C., they get posted online, they get sent, you know, to representatives' email boxes, you know, and they just get trashed or thrown mm-hmm. away or deleted and okay that, yeah that's fine and probably it did and i have no doubt that you know this stuff never got through to anybody which is fine but you know it's it was it was for us to teach our people what we believe uh how we can respond but also you know the bigger issue like you've mentioned is the church of jesus christ is supposed to be the place where uh, the truth is taught, but not just, you know, sort of within the four walls, but it's the place from which the truth is supposed to be proclaimed uh, to the world. And so the Church has uh, prophetic ministry in the world. Um, and I think people I think people intuitively know that, but a lot of people want to limit that to, you know, sort of quote-unquote spiritual realm. Well, yeah, you know, we, we have a prophetic voice to sinners, and we tell sinners repent and believe. Um, but if there is a... a uh, something that that's said, you know, in society uh, or being done in the world, that especially you know, in, in direct contradiction to what God says, the church needs to speak. Um, and, and, and I think I think the church needs to speak to all issues, but you know, in this particular sort of limited, sort of narrow, quote unquote, you know, spiritual, you know, biblical realm, um, you know, when when a civil government says something does something that's in direct contradiction to what God says, the church, it's not just the church has the option to speak, I believe the church must speak. Yes. So, yeah, so that, that's what we did. So we wrote a letter, um, and, uh, you know, it's still online. It's on our church's website, uh, oceansideurc.org. Um, people can find it on there. Um, just click on the link for uh, About Us, and there's a link to, you know, what we believe, and there's a little... You know, a little link down the bottom for some of the confessional statements and doctrinal things that we believe. Um, so, yeah, I would encourage people to, uh, you know, to read that, you know, it's not because it's the greatest thing ever written, but it's just an example of how Christians in local congregations can speak to issues. And again, you know, the one time sort of, you know, it, something is said by the Supreme Court, and you know, so like the, the moment of response, obviously, Probably doesn't actually register uh, much of uh, of, uh, of anything to those in power, but these these laws still continue, um, and our voice still needs to continue. So uh, we post, you know, we have this thing online, and like a lot of churches I know out there as well have policies and 
positions on various issues that we need to keep speaking out and teaching the truth. Yeah, and uh, what impressed me uh, with this statement, um, it's very respectful, and it starts out um, saying, our statement on marriage, and you address it, to the government of the United States of America from the consistory, pastor and elders, of the Oceanside United Reformed Church. And you list the date, and you start out so very gracious. Um, and it says, In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the one true God, whom alone is King of kings and Lord of lords, over the nations from whom all executive, legislative, and judicial power comes, whose kingdom already came, is coming, and will come to consummate all things in heaven and on earth. And so then you continue. But uh, I appreciated the respectful attitude in this, and I do hope that our, our rulers did read this. Someplace in there you make it clear that there's a sphere, if you will, in, in which your church operates and that it's distinct from the sphere of the civil realm. Can you help me uh, articulate that a little bit better? Sure. Um yeah, it's uh, that's one of the thorny issues <laughs> among, among Christians. Uh, you know, in in my tradition, the Reformed tradition, there's a more historical, uh, you know, Reformational position. You know, uh, understanding of that, and then how things, you know, get passed down. Um, yeah, to, you know, sort of in simplistic terms. You know, we, we in the United States, people think about you know the wall of separation. Um, you know, church and state. So, you know, that's, that's not exactly what the Reformed understanding of the so-called two spheres, two realms, uh, they don't nicely, neatly match up to church and state, but that's how people think um, in simplistic terms. So, um, you know, uh, and I say that because, you know, the, the overall issue is, as you just read there from, that, from the letter, is that uh, Jesus Christ is the King, of all things, and God's kingdom uh, is over everything. Right. And, yeah, there are different realms or spheres or areas of life, but there's no, you know, there's no hall of justice, there's no office of a magistrate, senator, you know, mayor. There, there's no place on earth where Jesus Christ is not king. Right. Uh, so that, that's sort of the overall principle is that, you know, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Uh, you know, uh, he's king over all things. Um, and the way in which Jesus, as the, uh, as the ascended king, executes, manifests, applies his kingdom is different in different sort of realms or spheres. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's a more generic sense of the kingdom of God we'll talk, we talk about you know, in, in general, that Jesus rules over all things. Uh, in particular, uh, the kingdom is manifest in this life, in this world, visibly in the church. Um, that doesn't mean the church is, you know, is the kingdom in an exhaustive sense. It just means that the church is the primary manifestation of the kingdom, and you know, how does Jesus administer that that kingdom uh, rule is through His Word. Um, how does He how does He administer His kingdom uh, in the in the in the in the whole of the world or in society? Um, you know, well, we believe that He does that through the means of government, 
um, you know, civil government, civil magistrate, the different ways that we, that we speak of it. Um, you know, and that's kind of like where the rubber hits the road. That, that's kind of uh, the, uh, the big struggle is, you know, how exactly does he manifest his kingdom reign through unbelieving, uh, you know, secular so-called rulers. And so, you know, we recognize that. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot to say about that. But um, so there are different realms, different areas. And we as believers, obviously, we have sort of two feet like one foot in each, as it were, you know, we're part of a, of a civil kingdom, we're part of a heavenly kingdom, where we, we belong to, you know, the church, you know, in particular places, we also belong to cities and counties and sure. states and the nation. So, you know, we have a lot of hats, we have a lot of different <laughs> sort of, you know, yeah, there's just a lot of interplay, and that, that, that's what makes it difficult. Uh, but I think that difficulty, you know, that's that's natural. It's a good thing that we struggle with that. So, you know, when the civil magistrate speaks to marriage, for example, and says that uh, marriage is, you know, between any two consenting adults, that's in direct contradiction to what God says. Sure. Um, so, you know, the question comes back then typically is like, oh, well, does that mean that, you know, the United States of America has to, you know, legislate by the Bible, um, and I would argue no, um, but all human beings know the law of God on the heart. Romans 2 says that. Um, all human beings are sinners, and we believe in depravity and the fallenness of the human race, and so they're going to skew that law. Um, but the things that we have, say, in the Ten Commandments that are revealed in Scripture, uh, those commandments are outward expressions of what we would call natural law, meaning the law in the heart, that everyone knows there's a God. Everyone knows that God is to be worshipped. Everyone knows that murder is wrong. Everyone knows that, you know, that immorality uh, is wrong, stealing is wrong, and so forth. So civil governments need to recognize that God is the one that gives authority. And the law that's on the heart, at a minimum, the law that's on the heart should inform decisions. And so I would argue that uh, a Supreme Court that says it's a fundamental right for uh, two men, two women to get married, that's a manifest violation of the law that they know on their heart. Um, all societies throughout all times and all places in history have recognized that. Yeah. And it's a complete, it's a, like we say in our letter, you know, it's a complete overturning of the natural created realm, the world that God has made. So, uh, sort of a meandering, long, you know, maybe not so coherent <laughs> answer, but yes, there are different realms. Jesus rules over them all, and at a minimum, the this quote unquote secular, you know, non-religious, which obviously we know that that's not true. Everything is religious, but um, the so-called secular, you know, magistrate is to be informed by the law that's on the heart, which should restrain them from what I would consider, you know, a decision like Obergefell versus Hodges. That's a, it's not just a turning over of creational norms. It's human judges playing God, yeah. uh, you know, redefining fundamental reality. 
that's like the height of hubris. <laughs> you know, that, 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 that five human judges in one particular country at one particular moment in the whole history of the human race uh, can, can say this. Um, so, you know, we know, they have, we know they have reasons, but, uh, you know, from where we stand, this is something that's so clearly a violation of the law that God has placed on the heart to restrain magistrates and judges from such hubris um, that, you know, we have to speak out. Yeah, it's so true. And I, I, I was so encouraged when I read your uh, statement, uh, and it is available online. We'll, God willing, put a link uh, on the website when we post this as a podcast as well. Um, on page two of your document, and by the way, we only got about two or three minutes left. Uh, <laughs> this, this is fun. It's going to really fast. Um, you say this, we... Oh, yeah, it's like such a thorny, uh, naughty issue, that, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we want to walk carefully and honestly. Uh, yep. You say, we appeal to you to take up, and you're talking to the civil magistrate, we appeal to you to take up the Word of God, which describes your duties and responsibilities in your ideal capacity... You are foster fathers and nursing mothers to the church. And uh, I love this language, and I know it's not unique to you. And just briefly, in one or two minutes, can you give our listeners some references of some of the famous, wonderful, rich confessions of the church that includes such language as this? Sure. Yeah, that language of uh, civil government being like foster fathers, nursing mothers, that comes from Isaiah 49, and it's quoted and cited virtually by all the Reformation, Protestant Reformation confessions of faith uh, in the 16th and 17th century. So, you know, if people want to look online for the Belgic Confession of Faith, written in 1561, uh, the Belgic Confession of Faith, uh, Article 36, right towards the end, uh, describes the role of the civil magistrate. Uh, the Westminster Confession, probably a little more familiar to some people, the Westminster Confession, written about 100 years later, 80 years later, uh, quotes that very line from Isaiah 49, again, in the context of the civil magistrate's role and how it relates to the church, uh, to protect the ministry so that God is honored uh, and that society is ordered well. So that language, um, yeah, it's not just you know me or you know our elders, but this is language that has a long history uh, in our circles. And again, you know, you know, it's a difficult thing. What does it mean? How does it get applied in different situations and societies? But civil magistrate, ideally, is to you know honor God and protect the the kingdom of God as it's manifested in the church. Yes, Amen. That's, that's sort of the big takeaway of that. Yeah. Now, I wish we had more time, but today we've been talking with uh, Pastor Danny Hyde. Uh, he is pastor at Oceanside United Reformed Church. It's in the Carlsbad, Oceanside, California area. And uh, they wrote a letter to the United States government, uh, just right on the heels of Obergefell Hodges ruling of the Supreme Court some three years ago. And I'd urge our listeners to look this up. Uh, it's a very, very clear statement, and it shows the prophetic role of the church in communicating to our leaders in a respectful way and also assuring our leaders of our prayers for them because we we must uh, submit supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings and uh, we must remember those whom God has placed over us uh, while also instructing them 
as to what the law of God requires. Uh, Danny, uh, before we leave, if someone wants to look up your church, uh, where can they go on the Internet? Sure. Just uh, OceansideURC.org. Um, yeah, and people can find us on Facebook, Twitter as well. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. And, and to me, and I believe our listeners as well, this is an encouragement when a church stands up and says, yes, we're preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and also we have a message for those whom God has placed over us. Uh, this is the standard by which we live. And ideally, you should uh, march in, <laughs> in keeping with this godly standard so that he alone receives all glory. Danny Hyde, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Restore our